0: Add FitBod to your workout essentials. Join today to get your personalized workout plan. Get 25% off your subscription or try the app for free at FitBod.me slash Zabe. That's F-I-T-B-O-D dot M-E slash Zabe. Today on the ZabeCast, if you think you're going crazy with all the stories you see these days, trust me, you aren't crazy. The world's gone crazy. I'll give you a dose of Phew, thank God someone else thinks like I do. It's not a good idea to try to steal an ATM, but people still try. Kyler Murray, maybe a douchebag. Fred Smoot's Game of Thrones name, no, not possible on our guy Buck Buckhantz. And the movie Minority Report is looking more and more accurate all the time. All that plus gambling talk with Mr. X. Your bonus save is locked and loaded, so buckle up and let's go. <laughs> Thursday, March 7, 2019. Thank you for downloading. Tomorrow is the premium edition. I shouldn't call it premium. It's the, oh, you're going to pay for something edition of the Zabecast. I put Fridays behind that $5 a month paywall. Just so that if you're addicted, or if you just want to support the podcast... You pay for Fridays. And I try to give you a little something extra, a little something better, a little something different, but you can't please everybody all the time as I am finding out more and more as I take suggestions at Zabe and people start disagreeing with the suggestions that were just sent in to me left and right. Tomorrow, I'm going to have on our friend Fred Minnick, who is our bourbon expert. He's been on before and Paul Charchian fanball.com who recently completed whiskey weekend 11 in which he and a bunch of buddies go up north and just drink whiskey and rank them blind taste test. He's very excited is, to talk to Fred Minnick about the brown stuff and so we're going to nerd out on whiskey and bourbon and drinking and everything else tomorrow on the Friday edition. For those of you that don't drink the brown and don't care about that or already heard Fred and you're like, that's nice. Guess what? You're excused from tomorrow. Otherwise, tune in, subscribe at zabe.com slash premium, and we will see you tomorrow on the Zabe Cast, Mr. X, today we'll talk some gambling, baseball, other issues this week as we head towards March Madness. But let me start with a little bit of insanity. Sometimes you read these headlines and you say to yourself, the world has gone completely mad. And yes, this is going to be considered by some to be talking politics. Don't groan. Not politics in terms of Democrat versus Republican. Should we have tax cuts? Should we not? How about environmental legislation? It's, quote, politics in terms of the way society is heading these days and the way some Groups insist on trying to reshape the world the way they want it to be. Chick-fil-A has been banned from campus at Ryder University. Ryder? I barely know her. It's a Mercer County, New Jersey school. I remember Ryder. Every now and then, Ryder gets into the NCAA tournament as one of those low seated teams. Well, Ryder University put to their student body a vote. Who would you like to bring on campus as part of our food services? And they gave them a choice of a number of different fast food and quick serve providers. And to no one's shock, the very tasty and excellent service Chick-fil-A was the winner. Well, after the vote went through... They then re-voted. The administrators did not like the students deciding on Chick-fil-A, and so therefore they re-racked the poll, and this time it did not include Chick-fil-A, so you can't even vote for them because they're not an option. Of course, it's because the university and the faculty believes that Chick-fil-A is run by uh, Christian bigots who are a threat to the LGBTQ plus community. Chick-fil-A has said, look, uh, we have no policy of discrimination against any group and we do not have a political or social agenda. More than 120,000 people from different backgrounds and beliefs represent the Chick-fil-A brand. But no, that was not enough for many of the hardcore liberal uh, administrators at Ryder University. Score one for the administrators. You kept a chicken joint off campus. And you students who actually wanted this, no, your vote doesn't matter. We'll tell you what you're, we're going to tell you what we will let you have. And by the way, your parents need to send us their latest check for our overpriced education. That's number one. Number two is what does it take to get fired from a government job? Apparently, a whole lot. There was a Secret Service agent, a woman by the name of Carrie O'Grady, who set off a firestorm by posting on Facebook that she was endorsing Hillary Clinton in 2016 and would refuse to protect Donald Trump from an assassin's bullet if he were to be elected. She said she was willing to lose her job over that public statement, and eventually she was quote, fired, but I say fired in quotes because it's the government, and it's not quite so simple. Anyhow, it's a long story about how Ms. O'Grady's misconduct got her demoted, but not demoted that much. It got her demoted from like a, I think her government level of uh, service was like something, something, 15, GS-15 down to GS-13. Also, she apparently is being allowed to stay on in some sort of demoted non active role so she could then make it to the 25 year mark of her service so she could pick up her sweet sweet pension upon retirement apparently at the GS15 level her salary was between 105,000 a year and 136,000 at GS13 it's between 75 and 98 Either way, it looks like it's going to be a sweet pension because apparently even saying publicly and doubling down on "oh, this president, I hate this guy. I'm not going to protect this guy. If you're in the Secret Service, it doesn't get you fired immediately. Funny because Trump recently met with Kim Jong-un and you think to yourself, hmm, wonder if that's how it works over there. Granted, it's two extremes. And I'm not saying we should execute a Secret Service agent who says proudly on Facebook, I'm not protecting this asshole. But you'd think that would be an easy and quick, okay, you're fired. Because not only can we not trust you in the field, uh, but also we also, you know, we're worried that, God forbid, someone decides to uh, execute a coup d'etat, an American coup d'etat. We can't have Secret Service agents, even field agents. She was, I guess, the head of the, the Denver field office, so she might have not been on direct um, duty protecting the president, but still, you can't have that. Can you fire somebody like that right away? No pen, you're done. No, apparently not. It's the government. And then there's this from Canada, while the world has gone completely insane. Parents of a child in Canada are now watching as their school for their 13-year-old daughter who has expressed desires to be a boy and has talked to their school counselor. The 13-year-old daughter is now going to start taking testosterone so she can begin to develop a more masculine appearance. The father expressed concerns about this. The mom was apparently okay. But the government stepped in and said, well, you don't have a choice now. The child's rights supersede yours, so we're going to start injecting her with testosterone. Even further, they said that if the parents don't start referring to her using masculine pronouns, they will be charged with a crime. Wow. So a school guidance counselor hears that a 13-year-old believes that she should be a boy, wants to start taking testosterone injections. Counselor says, okay, we're going to report this. The government says, yeah, parents, actually, you don't have a right to step in and say no. No, I don't want to go this far just yet. You know, this is a child we're talking about. And children don't sometimes know what they don't know. And no. Oh, no, no. We're rushing ahead with this. And if you dare to call her anything but him we're going to charge you with a crime this is happening in canada just to our north it's insanity from chicken sandwiches to what does it take to fire a secret service agent to this story you just you shake your head and say is this am i living in a simulation is this real I was a big fan of the movie Minority Report with Tom Cruise, even though it was not a big box office success. It was a bit of a cult hit as terms of sci-fi and a dystopian future. Minority Report basically predicted a world in which precog, or precognition of crime, was going to be attainable in the future with cameras and computers and surveillance and everything else. They would... Be able to sense, like, okay, this guy's about to go commit a crime. And and they they would swoop in with these spider-like drones that could do all kinds of stuff. Creepy. Wild. I liked the movie. Plus, I liked when Tom Cruise was in front of this giant air screen of a computer and he was just using his hands to swipe through pages of data and images. Swipe left, swipe right. Pretty badass. Well, guess what? Precog, in its infancy, is already here. Bloomberg News reports it's watching and it knows a crime is about to take place before it happens. VAK, V-A-A-K, a Japanese startup, has developed artificial intelligence software that hunts for potential shoplifters using footage from security cameras for fidgeting, restlessness, and other potentially suspicious body language. While AI is usually envisioned as a smart personal assistant or self-driving car, it turns out the technology is pretty good at spotting nefarious behavior. Like a scene out of the movie Minority Report, the story says, algorithms analyze security camera footage and alert staff about potential thieves via a smartphone app. Their goal is prevention. The target is approached and asked if they need help. There's a good chance, then, that the theft never Happens. VAC made headlines last year when it helped nab a shoplifter at a convenience store in Yokohama. VAC had set up its software in the shop as a test case, which picked up on previously undetected shoplifting activity. The perpetrator was arrested a few days later. Can you imagine the uproar in this country if they were to stores were to start implementing this and helpful store employees would come up to customers and just ask innocently, do you need help with something? As if to scare them off from stealing something. And imagine if that system targets people of color more than Caucasians. Whether or not it's accurate or not. Can you imagine the outrage? I know this. Jameis Winston, watch out. (laughs) You may get away with it at your local publics, but you're not going to get away with it with that in the mix speaking of stealing things this one from nearby silver spring maryland surveillance video shows bumbling attempt to steal atm montgomery county police released, released a two-minute surveillance video of the bungled burglary in the hill and dale neighborhood it shows a pickup truck smashing backward through a storefront then three masked men climbing over the debris and slowly but surely loading the heavy machine on their orange-painted steel hand truck, which they brought with them to execute the heist. That's where things started to go sideways quickly. The thieves struggled with the ATM. One suspect appeared less than helpful, drawing a punch in the arm from his partner, encouraging him to pitch in. When they finally got the ATM on the dolly. The driver of the truck got restless, decided to leave the area before the suspects came out. The ATM then falls off the hand truck onto one of the suspects. They realize their ride is gone. At that point, the hapless thieves skedaddle, leaving the ATM lying in the parking lot, but returning for the hand truck. Hey, hey, man, you left that hand truck there. At least we take that home. Maybe we can ride home in the hand truck. Police believe they've seen this act before as a similar operation failed in the district two nights earlier. Turns out that the truck used to ram into the store was also stolen as well. It was later found abandoned in nearby Hyattsville. It brings to mind two things. Number one, I had somebody, somebody who was in my high school class. I didn't know him, but I knew one of his erstwhile friends. Uh, They tried to steal an ATM and successfully got the ATM home. This high school classmate of mine, according to legend. But once they got it home, really had no ability to get it open. The second thing it reminds me of is the scene in Breaking Bad, in which the meth heads that steal from one of Jesse's dealers. Was it Badger, I think? He uh, Or no, Skinny Pete. Yeah, they rob Skinny Pete. They uh, He goes to their house and finds an ATM there and watches them try to bust open the ATM. And then as the guys try to cut through the bottom of it, it falls on his head, squashing him. Because he keeps calling his meth-head girlfriend a skank. You skank, skank, and she finally had enough of it. I got to imagine breaking into an ATM... Is really hard. I got to imagine that they design it with a lot of different layers of. Now you can't cut through that. You can't weld through that. You can't unlock that. You can't smash it open. But everything can be hacked into. Somebody probably knows and has the diagram of how ATMs are made, and probably knows just how you're supposed to go about getting at the money. Of course, after the ATM squashed the guy's head, the drawer with the money popped open and. Spit out right into Jesse's hands. Good times. Good news for Game of Thrones fans and Zabe fans. Bad news if you don't watch the show and are tired of people talking about it. Nerd! Somebody reached out to me via Twitter and said, you know, if you were to do a recap once a week once the series begins again in April, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world, Zabe. I said, I'll go you one better. I said, I want to do a weekly recap with Sir Smoot of Blackwater Bay, a.k.a. Fred Smoot, former Redskin, former Viking, if he'll agree to do it, because nobody, nobody loves Game of Thrones more than Smoot. It's unbelievable. So I reached out to Smoot via Twitter, and he said, you know it, Zabe, let's do it, but I don't go by Sir Smoot of Blackwater Bay. I go by Fred Snow Bastard from the South, a.k.a. Fragon Targaryen, a.k.a. The Last Dragon. <laughs> I said, Smoot, your name is longer than Daenerys and her name. Queen of the Andals, Breaker of Chains, Child of Dragons, or whatever the hell it is. I figure we'll do an episode, me and Smoot will do one, prior to the series starting on April 14th just to catch up, lay out some possible plot lines. And then we'll do one recap, you know, do a show every week. Why not? I think, I think we'll be the only podcast that does Game of Thrones recap. What? Hold on, wait. I'm getting this in in my ear for my. Oh, oh, there are. Oh, lots of podcasts do that. Oh, in fact, I uh, I listened to a podcast about Game of Thrones while mowing last summer. Enjoyed it tremendously. Oh, really? Which one is it? I like to listen to myself. I forget. It was someone. I think it was an NPR-produced podcast about Game of Thrones. Funny, nerdy, a little bit too tame. You know, Fred and I, we will, we will give it to you straight. We will not mince words, and it'll be the R-rated version of your weekly Game of Thrones recap. Nerds! File this one under. They're coming for all of us. Dan Steinberg, D.C. Sports Bog, says that NBC Sports Washington recently informed longtime play-by-play voice of the Wizards, Steve Buckhantz, that it would not be picking up his option for next season, leaving his future at the network uncertain. This just two years after they got rid of Phil Chenier, who formed the very likable and easy-to-listen-to tandem that have called Wizards games for years. For those who are not in the D.C. area listing, they replaced Phil Chenier, former Washington Bullet, NBA player. Um, they replaced Chenier with Carol Lawson, former University of Tennessee shooting guard and former WNBA player and graduate of Sidwell Friends School in D.C. Carol Lawson is not good. There, I said it, I know. I'm such an ogre. You're just a man who's afraid of women succeeding in your... That's it. Fine. Carol Lawson is not good. I'll just say that right away. Might be a wonderful person. She's not good. She doesn't... She just leaves gaping holes that could be analyzed. And, by the way, didn't play in the league. I know Doris Burke is everyone's... Oh, she's the greatest, Doris Burke. I think Doris Burke is fine. I think she is severely overrated, but whatever. Uh, The Wizards and Ted wanted to get their own version of Doris Burke, so they hired Carol Lawson. And it's not working out, I don't think. Of course, the team's not working out either. The team sucks. Now, Buckhantz may survive. He may come back next year. It's just that they've decided they're not going to pick up his contract. Usually, though, this is a bad thing. It just is so stupid that here you have a basketball team that's been irrelevant for 20-plus years, if not, no, 40. 40 without 50. That's all you need to know about our Wizards. 40 without 50. 40 years without 50 wins. They've been irrelevant forever. They've got a GM in Ernie Grunfeld who should have been fired 17 times over the course of the last 10 years, yet is still there. They get rid of Phil Chenier, who had great chemistry and a great camaraderie with... Buckhance and oh by the way played in the league for what it's worth and now they're apparently going to be moving Hans out as well it's just it's madness it's insanity it really really makes me wonder about what's wrong with Ted Leonsis as an owner that he could do right by the hockey side of things and win a Stanley Cup and then mismanage the basketball side so badly stupid Hans, hang in there brother you're a pro's pro and Doesn't work out, we'll miss you, but hopefully better things are ahead. Hopefully, you'll have a basketball team you don't have to watch that's terrible, night in, night out, and then defend, which he has done over the years. Congrats to one Jeff Robleski. He tweeted me and tweeted the Zabe cast to say, Zabe, here's a picture. My man cave is 90% finished. Still going to put a bar in the back right corner, but I've got a 65-inch 4K Vizio with twin 49-inch Toshibas next to it. It's a dream come true. And look, no wires. Yes, very clean install, very lovely. It brings a a small tear to my eye every time someone else joins the 3TV nation. And it's good that now people are realizing, as a sports fan, of course you need 3TVs. Of course you wouldn't go to a sports bar with one TV, would you? Or you wouldn't go to a sports bar where they've got a bunch of TVs with only one game on, would you? No. So why in your house would you not have multiple TVs? Well, that's just excessive. I mean, who do you think you are? Elvis Presley or something? Hey, do you have multiple chairs and couches and furniture, places for people to sit? Well, yeah, but that's different. See, because yeah, How's it different? We don't have one couch. We don't have one chair to sit in. Why only have one TV if we're watching sports? Sports, sports, sports. Hell, the televisions now are probably cheaper than the chow the couches and the chairs. They're getting really inexpensive these days. Keep sending me your picks and I will keep responding to your advice or your requests for advice when it comes to a three TV setup. But you know my basic advice is do it, do it. Oh, the dance has begun on one Kyler Murray. And by the dance, I mean the whispers and the rumors that might not all be positive and then the pushback from people about those whispers and rumors that oftentimes have a very racial undertone to them. Like how dare you say anything bad about a black quarterback who might be drafted first overall. This is what happened with Cam Newton and the famous Nolan Norwalki report, which he was sort of vindicated on, but then he looked stupid. And now he might be coming back to looking pretty smart. Either way, look, people are going to have opinions. They're going to have stories. They're going to have things they hear about players. You take it for what it's worth. It's all just sort of out there. Charlie Casserly on the NFL Network said that he, the comments he heard about Kyler Murray out of the Combine were the worst he's ever heard from a highly rated QB. And he's been doing this a well. while. He apparently heard a lot of people saying, this kid doesn't seem to grasp the enormity of, hey, if you want to go number one, number one, and you were going to play baseball six months ago, you got to do more to sell us on you're really committed to football. You've got to put a little bit more into this, a little more polish, a little bit more, I guess, salesmanship. Here's the pushback to the pushback, though. So, Cashley says this on NFL Network. He's the messenger, by the way. He didn't say he talked to Kyler Murray. He said these are things he has heard. He's relaying what he has heard. Darren Gant replies on Twitter, Charlie Cashley spent top three picks on David Carr and Heath Schuler. Why do I care again what he thinks about QB evaluations? Wow. Okay. Charlie Casserly is not making an evaluation himself. He's passing this along. And yes, David Carr failed spectacularly. Heath Schuler, same thing. But it's not like Charlie Casserly made all bad picks. He went with Mario Williams over Reggie Bush, and that proved to be a pretty good thing in the long run of it. But you're going to get this. You're going to get now the pushback. People saying, I can't believe these things are being said about Kyler Murray. I'll give you one anecdote I heard from somebody who I consider a trusted source. And it's just an anecdote. It, it's nothing that should make or break a guy. But apparently at one of these quarterback get-togethers or some football camp, they put you know the people who are at the camp, these high school players, through sort of a Navy SEALs drill at the end of the camp to, you know, do team building and bonding. And okay, this is hard, but you got to figure out a way to do it. They put them in a boat, no paddles. They said, go out to the middle of the lake, go, go with your hands, paddle as a team of four or five guys, paddle around the buoy, come back, take the boat out of the water, climb up, carry the boat uh, all the way up to the top of this hill and down back to the campsite or whatever. And the one rule was one person had to be in the boat the entire time, and that included when the boat was being carried on land. Kyler Murray said, first of all, well, I, just so you know, I can't swim. They go, okay, well, we'll make sure that you don't fall out of the boat while we're paddling around. But then when they got to shore and they had to lift up the boat and carry it for whoever knows long, the one guy who never got out of the boat apparently was Kyler Murray. <laughs> and apparently, some of the other Players were like, what the fuck, man? We all took turns. You sat in the boat the whole time. We carried your ass. And when confronted with this, Kyler Murray said, you know, I just figured I'm the lightest guy. So what's the problem? To which I said, you know, kind of makes sense. But apparently it didn't go over well with some of the other guys involved in that particular exercise. Does this mean you shouldn't draft Kyler Murray? Hell no. But I do think Kyler Murray's got to tighten up on the whole selling himself and the whole notion of, yeah, I'm really committed to this, and here's how. It could be bullshit. It could be just eyewash. But that's what teams kind of want. That's what general managers kind of want when they're thinking about making a big move to draft a guy who's 5'10 on a clear day on his tiptoes. He's one day early this week. We'd put him in the free section of the Zabe cast. You know him. You love him. He is Mr. X. He'll be appearing at Zabe Vegas, and he is furiously working on a craps lesson for the Hoopleheads. Sure. There's a way. Like, you need. I thought you just threw your money on the table and then looked at the dealers with sad puppy dog eyes, and then they just put it wherever they thought you should put it. That's not how craps works.
1: Well, that that is an acceptable method.
0: <laughs> it's no it's no worse a strategy than any other, right?
1: I kind of like to know what I'm doing when I do it. I'm, uh, I like to learn things, but you know, you can do it either way. But a few people had, had, you know emailed and said, "While we're there, could we do this? Could we learn? You know, could I do something to help them actually learn?" And I said, "Sure, I've done seminars before on craps. Uh, on crafts. It's uh, it's it's great. I like crafts. to learn things the right way."
0: craps is intimidating for those of us who are not mathematically adept and for years i was just a blackjack only player i would i never bellied up to the craps table ever because i also thought that you had to be some big high rolling schmuck to be on the table well all those notions have been dispelled over the years because number one the dealers are very friendly at Every craps place I've been to, they'll help you out. They'll say, here, you should back the odds here. They'll they'll know yes. the payouts and everything else. That's number one. And number two, that you don't have to bet a ton of money. You can sit there, bet the pass line, cheer along, and nobody's going to look at you crooked.
1: You're right. I'll say two things about craps. Number one, it is by far the most fun game in any casino. If when you the, walk in a casino when and the table's hear hot. Well, sure. And <laughs> when, when it's you hear, cold, it ain't fun. <laughs> and that's right. But if you hear hooting and hollering and fun in a casino, you will look around and I will tell you it is coming from the crap table. But yes, it can be intimidating at first. And you know what? When you said that about dealers, one of my lessons is always, I'm just going to call it protocol or etiquette. And for to reference it for you, what I would say is, Zabe, you can shoot par, but if you're driving your cart across the green and talking <laughs> in my backswing, you're not playing. Agree. So that's part of what you got to learn, and you do have to learn it how but, to do it.
0: Right. Yeah. But whenever I've been at a craps table, the the guys who have been the most annoying are the assholes who think they're hot oh, shit yes. craps players. It's not the newbies who get yelled at. Newbies just gently get told, don't put your you know, chips here or don't do right. this, and here you go, you want to do this over here. It's, it's way more friendly than you would otherwise think. And the great thing about craps is that you're all collaborating together as a table, unless there's some asshole on the dope pass line, which does happen. Sure. You're all collaborating together towards a goal of hitting numbers. And so there isn't, at a blackjack table... You could be doing well, but the guy next to you could be doing poorly, and his attitude, Mr. X, is going to bring you down, and it's going to bring the whole fucking table down.
1: Karma is everything. You're right. And by the way, like you said, when somebody gets hot, it's good for some of the best friends you'll ever meet are throwing dice at the other end of the table. (laughs) Absolutely. The only
0: downside is you do have to stand up. So if you're a lazy son of a bitch that wants to park your fat ass at a blackjack table, then craps is not for you.
1: I keep looking for the senior tour where I can sit, but I haven't found it yet.
0: (laughs) The sitting craps table. Yeah. And it's just so fun. So I thought I kind of knew most of the ways to bet at craps. And then one night, in fact, I think it was with you last year.
1: Yes, it was.
0: it, It wasn't. I mean, you were playing some exotic shit, but there was another guy who was playing ways that I was like, wait, what, what, what are you asking for? And the dealers didn't miss a beat. They're like, yep. Okay, oh, no. fine. Split it. Ride this over here. Give me odds on that. Beep, 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 beep. And I'm like, damn,
1: you're right. I am a math guy and I can't do it that fast. They're very good.
0: Yeah. But it's fun though. And they got, and there's so much action. The stick yep. man. Tapping it, they got the sayings, the slang, you know. Hard six, let's go now. Come on out, here we want this, you know. And it's just things going, moving, moving, moving. It's fun. So we'll we'll try to get together a crap seminar if we can jam it in. I'll talk to my guy. I remember
1: back in the day. I'll do this now if I haven't played in months or a year. I'll still do this, and it's a little bit of a lot. I'll belly up right next to the dealer, and when he hands me my chips, I'll casually under my breath say, "I haven't played in a while." Any help you give me is appreciated. Just be nice. Right nope. then, he's gonna he's gonna keep his eye on you and make sure you don't make any mistakes. Just don't be. You know the dealers usually help you, but if you're a jerk, you might not get that help. All you gotta do is say, "Hey, I'm new," or "Hey, it's been a while," and it'll be you got it, and they will help you. Right. And help you means help you. It doesn't yeah. mean help them. Yeah. Yep. That's a great tip.
0: Okay. Enough of craps. Let's. Right. Uh, before we get to, we're gonna talk Calcuttas today because uh, a lot of people are unfamiliar with that as a form of a gambling exercise. But before we get to Calcutta's, you being a baseball guy, I had to run this one by you. Do you know what they are on the verge of implementing with this new labor agreement in baseball?
1: I've heard a lot of rumors, which one are we on?
0: Story today, Jeff Pass and ESPN.com said that the the first part of his story was about all-star game. And they're going to do an election day, they say, at the All-Star game, where they'll get the top three vote-getters per position. And then reset to zero votes, and then on a single day, 24-hour election day, they'll have another round of voting to determine the starter.
1: So, it's like a primary, and then we'll have the election. And right. will they have super delegates?
0: <laughs> <laughs> will they have debates?
1: Wow, it, I like it. I really do like that okay it,
0: it is whatever, and you know they're talking about they're talking about raising the prize money for the home run Derby to try nice. to get more stars involved. I don't know what it would take to get more stars to go, ooh, a million dollars I'm in, but we'll see. okay. The big deal is this. Apparently, they're close to reaching a new deal, the union and MLB, when all we heard six months ago, not even six months ago, two months ago, was saber-rattling from Tony Clark and the union about, man, no one's signing Machado or Harper. This system's broken. There's going to be a strike in a couple of years. Funny how that has suddenly changed. The deal, Mr. X, may include the union's concession to rule changes, including a three batter minimum for relief pitchers.
1: Whew. Wow. I'm not sure I like that one. But, hey, the bottom line is baseball is the only sport where the players kick the owner's ass every negotiation. Not anymore, they're not. Well, but think about it for a second. They might be giving up things in the game, but they're not giving up a penny.
0: True, but I don't see – like, why would they agree? Well, I know why they're going to agree. Part of the reason that they're now coming to the table, despite the absolute freezing cold hot stove league they just experienced, is that they were going to push through this pitch clock. Manfred had the right to implement – Unilaterally, the 20-second pitch clock, and pitchers hate that. So in exchange for shelving that until 2022, they're going to agree to things like fewer pitchers on the roster, like 13 or maybe 12, I think, and a three-batter minimum, which, if I'm not mistaken, Mr. X, this would be the first must-do strategy rule in baseball, at least in my lifetime. I can't think of another, you must do this type rule.
1: Well, maybe not a must do, but I would call that the first major change if it happens since the DH in 73, I think. Right. I mean, that's, I don't think there's been anything of substance tweak here, tweak there. There's been nothing of substance nor should there be. But, yeah, that one's going to be a tough one. I still think the bottom line is what you get on these negotiations is the owners trying to make adjustments to improve their product and increase their revenues. And the players saying, as long as we get a big, the big piece of your pie, fine, we'll go along with it.
0: Right. They're
1: purists until the dollars come out. and Then they suddenly will, they'll make concessions for the money. That's for sure.
0: They want to they want to do this three batter minimum to speed up the game because they don't want a parade of relievers. Every and it's just not going to work. Game. The
1: first thing they're going to do is just fake injuries. It's not that hard. Every time a pitcher throws a pitch, he can just twinge and go, "Ah, oh, sorry, if something doesn't feel right." And they will <laughs> never make you stay in that game and get hurt. Yeah. So, hey, the righty's coming up, and I'm a lefty. My shoulder hurts. That's what they'll just end up
0: doing. I, I said Dave Drovecki would have had a hell of a time oh. with this rule. Oh. poor guy. He's still yeah. around, by the way. Uh, that was gruesome, but he did have to have his, uh, arm and shoulder amputated because he had cancer in there. That's part of why his arm broke while pitching. I just see it as you're going to have a lot of problems. And I don't know if the three batter minimum includes wrapping around to the next inning. One would think there's no harm in letting a guy face one batter. And then you go to the inning break and you bring in somebody new.
1: I would think so because that has nothing to do with time issue, right?
0: You're trying to avoid
1: a pitching change Well, the inning ends that uh, all bets should be off.
0: Now, my proposal, before we radically change the strategic must-do rules of the game, I say let's do this. Eliminate warming up on the mound.
1: That's why you have a bullpen, yeah, Mr. Rex. that's crazy. X. Or, or why, how about just why like two are you, pitches? No, yeah. no, no, no. You no, will have a no. picture that will say every mound feels a little different. Give me a second, but I'm not giving you eight, ten pitches. I'm going to give you two. Let's go.
0: No, I don't even give them two.
1: Okay, I, fine. I say don't give them
0: two. I say tough shit. Mound feels different. Yeah. Well, you know what? You know what your warm up pitch is. Ball one. You know what your second warm up pitch is. Ball two. Figure yeah, it the fuck right. out. And it would dissuade yeah. managers maybe from bringing them in. So you get a bullpen cart. Don't let them walk in, saunter in from the outfield. You drive their asses in, and you get going right away. A pitching change should take 30 seconds in my baseball rules before we start going to three-pitch minimums. And if you want to get even more radical, Mr. X, I would say pitching changes mid-inning must occur with a pitcher who's in your dugout. So in other words, you got to warm guys up and then preload them into your dugout so a pitching change then literally takes 15 seconds.
1: Hmm. Anything that involves potential injury is never going to fly. But uh, the rest of it, I'm okay with. By the way, back to your three batters. So I come in, I throw a double play ball. Does that count as two?
0: <laughs> Good question.
1: I uh-huh. do
0: I guess a batter is a batter, not an out. So yeah, I would, that, my answer that, would be... That would
1: mess that. No. That would mess that up, yeah. yeah.
0: And, and, and imagine, you know, you got a chance to win a series... A playoff series, you need one out. Are you telling me you can't bring in your ace for one out lefty against lefty? Oh no, there's the three batter rule. People are gonna say boo to yeah, that shit.
1: You know, this I had not heard this, so I'm sorry. I'm digesting it. And it's the, more okay. I hear it, the, more, the more I hear it, the more I'm not as bad with it as it first sounded because I am sick of the. You know, I'm sick of the one batter, one batter, one batter. You know, where's Raleigh Fingers? Bring me a reliever and get everybody out, damn it, and stop being a specialist. Right. Yeah, you know, I, don't, I don't have a problem with that yeah. to and some degree.
0: I think part of the reason why you don't hate it that much is you are a man of strategy <laughs> and analysis, and this adds a whole new complicating layer. And however artificial it may be, it's kind of interesting to think, all right. Because it'll it'll give us fans another reason to second-guess our manager. Like, why'd you bring him in now? Didn't you know there'd be a three-batter rule? You didn't think
1: ahead, you idiot. Oh, sure. Oh, I wanted to take him out, but I couldn't. It's not my fault. It's the rule's fault. Yeah, that just gives him another excuse. But see, I always am doing that. You know, the old-school guys like me, I'm always telling the kids, yeah, 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 Rivera's great, but I like guys like Raleigh Fingers that would get 10 outs for a save. right. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, anyway, we'll see where this goes, but that was the story from Jeff Passan on Wednesday. Let's move to gambling. What, Mr. X, in the bloody hell is a Calcutta?
1: What is it? Well, basically it's just a pool amongst a group of people, almost like playing fantasy or something. But most, no, the most well-known Calcuttas are for the NCAA. Basically what you do in that situation is you get a group of people together, however many you want. Define and a I, group. What was what, yeah. a
0: typical Calcutta? 20
1: guys? Well, if I like to do, I think some people will do it for all 64 teams before the tournament. I think that's a horrible waste. I prefer the ones that are at the sweet 16 level. So you have to do it, you know, in those few days in between where you have 16 teams left. So you need, 15 to 20 people, I'd say, at least you could do more, but around, around that number. And basically what you do is you, one person is the auctioneer and you put the teams in order from worst to first and the auctioneer will bring up the worst team and you bid just like an auction.
0: All right. And And, what, so I'm bidding saying I got five bucks on coastal Carolina. Okay. How do I have a,
1: you'd have a minimum, you'd have a minimum opening bid. And then you'd probably have a minimum increment. Um, so, you know, he'd open it up at the minimum bid, and then you have to go up by what the increment is. And then it's just like an auction. Shout it out, and let's go, and bid until the guy says, is anybody else going, going, gone. All
0: right, hold on. Zabin
1: so. gets Coastal Carolina for $75 or whatever the number.
0: All right, how do I get paid then if I've taken Coastal Carolina, a 14 okay. seed, in yeah. a NCAA tournament, Calcutta?
1: Well, they got to win. It all you gotta win it all. I, well, then, there's, like to...
0: then who would bid on those teams?
1: Well, everybody has a right price. Okay, let me give you an example to finish that through. So you go from the worst to the best, and all the money goes into the pot, and whichever team wins takes the entire pot. I
0: thought some now, Calcuttas paid out. Yes. For, okay.
1: Typically, if you're going for all sixty-four teams to make them attractive, you would pay out a smaller amount for each round you advance. Oh. Uh, and, yes, you can do that. And with 64, you would have to do that because there's 40 teams with no shot of winning, maybe 45 teams. So, yes, you would have to have a round-by-round payout.
0: Have you personally- have you done full 64-team Calcuttas?
1: Oh, sure. Okay. Oh, sure. I don't like them as much, but, I'll, you know. I'll force myself. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Ooh, twist my arm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But the, with the 16, it's just winner take all. Those are the best ones. Okay. So um, let's, let's, let's yeah. do
0: a mock sweet 16 Calcutta. Okay. Okay. So, so you rank the 16 teams and let's say Duke is number one and let's say number 16 is Mississippi state. Hypothetical. Okay. Sure. So you put Mississippi state up on the block and people start bidding Let's say the minimum bid is twenty dollars. How do I know what to bid yeah. for Mississippi State?
1: Well, there's there's a couple of things. First of all, you don't. okay. Second of all, you 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 have to use some estimation. I personally have a, a model I use, but that's too complicated. But the bottom line is as the pot builds, you get more of a feel for the latter teams. For example, the last team is very simple you're getting if, if in your example if duke is last you take the amount that's already in for the first 15 and you know that's how much you're bidding to win got it so it's very easy on the last team to figure it out it's a little bit of guesswork on the first ones and it's just like anything sometimes you know you look back halfway through and go god can we go back to that team they were a bargain and i didn't know it at the time so there is some you know some sense of hey i overpaid early it's, Just like when you do an auction in, in fantasy sports and, and you bid when you do the auction style and you bid and then later you wish you hadn't spent that much. So there is some, you know, sub- subjectivity to that, especially early on.
0: Also, there's what's complicating is that I guess you have to know the relative wallet sizes of the people you're playing with. So if you're in a nickel dime dollar a beer, kind of a you know shot in a beer, kind of a crowd then you're not going to want to go $1,000 for Michigan.
1: Oh, you definitely want to start slow. <laughs> you definitely want to start slow right. if you don't know. But the bond money is no matter how much money you have. Let's say let's say the guy who came in there thinking he's got all the money in the world and he's going to buy Duke. Okay, guess what? It can get to the point where the odds are such that it only takes one other guy bidding against you. Now the odds are such that you're better off passing and going home and playing them yourself. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> right. So that's what you always have to have in mind. And the best thing about the Calcuttas is, of course, you you don't have a middleman. You get way better odds than you would get, let's say, going up to your local casino and playing them yourself. That's what makes them so much fun. Plus, somebody you know is going to win. So if if uh, if a team is, you know, maybe six, to, let's take uh, Tennessee, seven to one right now in the Calcutta, you probably get them at ten or twelve to one when it's all said and done, when right. you cut out the middleman. So that's why you – so somebody – everybody walks out of there thinking they have a great deal.
0: And even if you think you are dead set sure that Duke or whomever is the lock of all locks to win it all, if, it, if that team gets bid up to a point that's pretty steep, you may end up winning that process to get Duke, but your payout is going to be
1: not very good. Right, maybe you could have got it better on your own, is the way I say it, right.
0: Right, exactly. So th- you have to watch for that as well, almost like a Pyrrhic victory when it comes to bidding on certain teams.
1: Sure, it's kind of like, you know, the guys who overbid are the ones that don't have, let's just call it back in the day, don't have anywhere else to play. <laughs> so it's like I either I either get my North Carolina or I got nobody. Whereas uh, folks that do this for a hobby, would, I, I, I never would go into one of those particularly wanting a team, I maybe I would just take the bargain that falls in your lap and, as you know, hedge it later. Hedge
0: it later. Okay, hedge so later. so let's say there's a Calcutta that's a Sweet 16 Calcutta that also pays out for making the Final Four.
1: Yeah. I, yeah, you can do that. I'm not saying I've ever been to one, but some people will do that. I See, now the reason I don't like those – is you can, gosh, how do I say this? You can create that yourself. Got it. Because when you have your Mississippi State to win it all, and they're in the final four, bet the other way and pay yourself.
0: <laughs> right. pay your, Bet the other way and pay yourself off if you actually right. win the Calcutta.
1: That's, yes. When you're, well, no, what I mean is when you lose, bet the other way and pay yourself off. If you took a big underdog team and you took a team that's, let's say you're getting a 30-to-1 payoff, and they make it to the Final Four, they're not going to win. Okay, I'm now betting the other team to beat them, and I'll take my win for having made the Final Four. So I'll, I'll create my own value that's better than what you would have given me if right. you paid out in the Final Four. So
0: let's say episode. let's say I paid twenty bucks for Mississippi State as the sixteenth best team in a sixteen team Calcutta. And they make the final four, and my payout on my $20 investment is going to be, let's call it 20 to 1?
1: No, let's do better now. Okay, let's call it, okay, sure. Let's call it 500.
0: All right, so so in other words, I'm at the final four. If Mississippi State wins two more games, I win $500. If they win one more game and lose the next, I win $0 correct instead of that because you're thinking well mississippi state they crashed the party they're not winning at all kind of like george mason did back in the day kind of like vcu did back in the day so in other in other words don't sit there and cross your fingers and hope they're going to actually bring it home for 500 bucks instead
1: do what i'd be betting some number let's call it in that example let's call it a I'd be unless I thought they were going to win, which you, you can't. I say, give me the hundred dollars on Carolina to beat them, and if and if they pull the upset, great. And if Carolina beats them, I got my hundred.
0: So this, so th- so that way you pay yourself. So you
1: pay myself,
0: right? You're right. betting Carolina money line.
1: Probably yes. Yeah, bet a money line, and if you lose, and if you lose twice, damn it, you win your five hundred. <laughs>
0: Right, but you would bet you would bet a hundred on Carolina money line well, to win, and then you'd bet, and then if that doesn't happen,
1: now you And then you bet two hundred on the next one, and so, yes. so we're dealing with a little bit smaller margins than I would be dealing with in something like this. But in theory, the point is, let's say you you know you bet the hundred, and then in the next round you want to win back that hundred, so you bet two, and if you lose them both, you're down three, but you win your five,
0: so you win two hundred.
1: Yeah. You're so kinda, uh, you're, we're kind of those are a little bit smaller margins. In in reality we'd be dealing with much bigger margins
0: right. to make but, it work. Yes. But instead of a, a two game roll the dice to win 500, you would be locking right. in a win of at least locking 100 in. or right. 200.
1: For for paying yourself for having gotten that far. Yeah. Exactly.
0: Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> exactly. Calcutta's are the uh staple of country club member guest golf tournaments.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: And those are interesting because you're betting on fellow humans that you may know, and you're wondering, how are they going to play tomorrow morning after drinking all night?
1: (laughs) Sure. Now, of course, the other part, now, when you talk about a group of friends, the other part of it's just like any poker game. Knowing your opponents is good, too. I'm going to drive you up on the Packers. Wow, I just switched to football. I'm going to drive you up on... The team that you know, I your love. Your team is yeah, that like, I know you want them. I don't want them, but I'm going to bid you up. <laughs> right.
0: If I'm if I'm, I'm gonna a drive you up. If I'm a complete Zion whore, and I'm like, oh, yeah. I love Duke. I love Duke. Then right. you know that, and so you start driving the price up. I think I got them at three hundred, and you go three ten.
1: Damn it. Exactly. Oh yeah, I'm going to push you. And then when it's all said and done, and we're having a couple of cocktails after it's over, we're going to trade. Well, gonna then that, okay, I'm going to sell you 25% of my North Carolina for 20% of your Duke. That's the or next
0: That's the next level of it that blew throw me in away.
1: percent of that Mississippi right. State and it's a deal. <laughs> right?
0: So then after it's done, and this is how it works in our golf, Calcutta, uh, is that you start horse trading. Okay, I want 20% oh, yeah. of Brad. Brad's going to be yeah. good tomorrow. I should have gotten on him in the auction, but I didn't. You want it, but I want a piece of it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and it's gonna, what it's really going to be is, okay, I'll give you half my Carolina, but you got to take half my Mississippi State, too, because I, I really didn't want them, and they fell in my lap by accident.
0: <laughs> it's so good, and, you know, for math dummies like me, it's very intimidating, but I would urge people, if you got a chance to get into a Calcutta that's relatively low stakes, do it just to see how it is, because it is fun, it's completely it wide open, it's a lot better, Better. I mean, I've done drafts where you, you know, you, you pick teams and they're okay, especially if you assign a point value where one win equals one point. So in other words, getting two low seeds in your six picks, let's say, from the bracket that actually win a game could put you over the top.
1: Yes, it's the, the ultimate free market, which is what makes it fun. And I'll tell you, uh, it's been a number of years. But my value in these things, believe it or not, in the day was I was the math guy. I had developed my own my own way of valuing these. I don't mean like how I how good I think a team is. I'm talking about the money evaluation and, and projecting how they would come out, etc. So the real big money guys would bring me along and just be like, so when we go to, you know, you get to like the 14th, 13th pick and it's like, OK, here's Kansas. What are they worth? And I go uh, 14 times. There you <laughs> and, go, or whatever the number, and I would just tell them the par, and then they try to do better than that.
0: What's the so, most money you've seen at a tournament,
1: Calcutta? Uh, oh, you know, I think we're gonna just leave that one out.
0: <laughs> do
1: you remember New Heisel?
0: Yeah, he was involved in
1: one of these. I was, I think that was, you were on that. That was in our early days when everyone was saying he bet this huge amount of money in this office pool. And I read that article and I emailed you back. This was 15, what, 18 years ago. And I said, it's a gotta be a Calcutta. It's not an office pool. There's no $250,000 office pool. What he was, was part of a group of 10 or 15 guys splitting up Maryland.
0: <laughs> right. And, yeah. uh, Yeah.
1: June, they said, "Oh, he bet two hundred thousand dollars on Maryland." No, he didn't. Two thousand. Yeah. Two thousand three.
0: Yeah, that's about right. Yeah. Yeah, he lost. I was like he's lost he's, his, he's obviously in a
1: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's worse things to lose your job for.
0: Uh, yes, he he reportedly knew Heisel won twenty thousand dollars.
1: Twenty. I thought it was more. Okay.
0: $20,000 in an office pool when he correctly picked Maryland to win the men's national basketball championship.
1: That's a Calcutta right there. <laughs> <laughs> it ain't no goddamn he, office pool for Tony Grant. He 20 didn't grand. bet 20 grand on Maryland. He was part of the entire pool, put 16 teams together, and it was worth 20 grand and he was on the team that bid on Maryland. New Island himself or Couple yeah. other
0: guys. Yep. Newhisle is the fourth high profile coach to be fired for reasons ranging from allowing academic cheating to sexual misconduct. This follows Jim Herrick at Georgia uh, for changing uh, course grades for players who didn't attend class. It includes Larry Eustache, fired for attending late night student parties when he was on the road and becoming intoxicated. Remember that. It follows Mike Price, who was fired before he even coached a game for Alabama after going to a strip bar during a golf outing, and the woman ratted him out when she went back to Price's hotel. God, that was good times back uh, in 03, yeah. wasn't
1: it? And the dude with the bad resume.
0: Oh, Remember? George O'Leary. O'Leary.
1: Yeah, yeah, they
0: hired at Notre Dame out of Georgia Tech. Then they started looking at his resume and realized he had fudged a bunch of shit. And they fired him before he even coached a single game. Yes. Wow. Yes. Okay. Because we're running short on time here. Okay. Uh, big important stuff coming up because there are people now sniffing around. Where are those picks? Where are the Mr. X baseball totals? And they're saying, Well, the season's gonna start by the time we're out there for Zayn yes. Vegas. So how is this going to work? I've said to people already, "You're paying for him this year." I don't care. Don't ask me. Don't beg me. Mister X has done a great service for all of us for years. You're going to pay him his freight, and he's got ways to let you do that. Tell people how they can get your picks.
1: Okay. Yeah, we've got a few things. But yes, Zay Vegas starts during opening day. That's going to be tough. Weird. Yeah, it's every the, the tournament seems to be a week behind this year, yeah, uh, for whatever reason. So when we get together, the first night in Vegas, opening day will have been four hours prior. So, so yes, weird. you have to do it ahead of time. So if you go to the website, call me Mister They are not yet available. I am grinding. I'm grinding. It takes time, but if you go and you there's a place for subscriptions, and if you input your data and get on the list that pro- that list is what i promise will be the first guys to get the intel when it comes out i expect it by friday this week but you can't rush but uh it will be probably friday maybe this weekend when the alert will go out to all of the people who have signed up so that they have first first crack at it
0: okay and that's the way to do it.
1: And by the way, they get a humongous discount if there's cast members, that's the one percenters. Right. That's right. So if you're really scamming the Monday through Thursday thing, you're going to want to think about adding Friday.
0: I like it. I like that a lot. And uh, to get your money down then, once you get the picks, you're going to have to have a friend. Well, First of all, if you get in Wednesday like we do in Vegas, you'll have time to get those picks down,
1: right? That would be what? Thursday the 28th of March but don't wait that long because these numbers always go away from you you want to do them baseball's different you want to get them as soon as you possibly can
0: so either have a friend who's out there or have an offshore book or two where you can get those numbers
1: down or some of the other places uh, other there's other legal places I'm not promoting illegal places but if you do go to my website you'll see the offshore places that I like
0: yeah and you could also you you can And you could also, I think, get a futures bet down in Jersey and probably West Virginia. West
1: Virginia. West Virginia. So, and yeah. And the, uh, I have, you know, everybody says, what's the best shop? What's the best shop? It depends because there's different, you know, depending on what level you're at, are you a newbie? You want to just to do a quick thing? Do you want to, are you a big player? Different shops have different things. So I have the ones listed that. Are, might be better suited for you depending on, you know, what you're looking for, but I'll definitely there's definitely good suggestions on the site. All right.
0: Very good, Mr. X. Always a pleasure and we will uh talk next week. Call me mrx.com. Baseball seasons are coming. We're ready. Sounds
1: sounds good. Thanks.
0: Let's end on this a story that I didn't have a chance to comment on because I was on my way to Africa and it got washed away in the news cycle is the Matt Kutcher caddy story from Mexico. Matt Kutcher ended up caving after he planted a stake on the hill of, Hey, I had an agreement with this guy and it was good money. And, uh, you know, I don't know why I'm getting crushed for only paying the guy five grand. That'd be El 2 down at Mayakoba. One day after that, when everyone lost their minds on Twitter, Matt Kuchar with I'm sure the urging of his agent and his sponsors came crawling back to say I'm so sorry and I'm going to pay l2 Toucan the $50,000 that he wanted as compensation for me winning the $1.2 million winners check. Boo Matt Kuchar. If you're going to die on a hill which apparently he made the decision I'm going to die on this hill then you better fucking die. You better die. Don't wuss out at the last minute because now Kucher has not only the reputation, at least in some circles as being cheap and tone deaf and insensitive, but he also had to pay the 50 grand. So it's a lose, lose on both fronts should have paid the 50 grand up front and look like a hero and shut his mouth. Or if you're going to die on that hill, die on it. Or maybe you don't have to die. Maybe you just have to state your case better. And there is a way to state your case better than Kuchar did. There's also the undeniable undertones of white, rich, American, poor, brown, Mexican caddy. How dare you? Because did you see the caddy for this guy, Keith Mitchell? Uh, I believe they called him crunchy Pete or something like that or crunchy. Looks like the caddy from the movie Happy Gilmore. Beard, long hair, looked like your college weed dealer. Or looked like Tommy Fleetwood, who was actually a tour player. Imagine if a white American caddy who picked up a loop from a tour player on a one-week basis only is on the bag as his man wins. And he then goes back on his agreement of what he would get paid for the week and says, I want a cut of the winner's check. I want 50 grand. Do you think the coverage would be nearly as sympathetic? Of course not. Of course not. People would say, hey, look here, Crunchy Pete. Who do you think you are? Some Steve Williams? You're not a tour caddy. Stay in your lane, bro. Take your money. But because it was Kuchar, white, rich, American, and he was in Mexico, and humble, hard working, doesn't speak any English for the most part, El Toucan, it was a ripe story to bash Kuchar over the head. Here's what he should have said. He should have said, hey, I'm rich. No question about it. And I'm very thankful for it. But I am also frugal. I don't like spending more money than I have to sometimes. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. You know, I played for years on the web, dot, or a couple years on the web.com tour, and I was trying to make ends meet and I had a young family and didn't know what my pro career would hold. And I saved money a number of ways. Here's how. Bing, bang, boom. I went to Mexico. I was not playing very well. I didn't expect to win. My regular caddy needed a week off. So I figured, what the heck, I'll get a local looper. Probably won't make the cut, but you know what? I'll save money no matter what. And that was my plan. On top of that, we had an agreement. So are agreements not worth anything anymore? I agreed to pay him five grand for a a top 10 or a win. I did. I actually went beyond what I said I would pay him. I even offered him $15,000 more for $20,000. He refused. We had a deal, and he chose to not accept the deal. What can I say? I offered. He refused. We move on. I hold no grudge. El cans a good man. Did a good job from that week, but he didn't really factor much into me winning. He doesn't know my game. We didn't talk a whole lot. I don't speak much Spanish. He doesn't speak much English. But I ended up winning. So that's the story. I'm I'm rich, but I expressly hired him because I didn't want to pay a tour caddy as much money as I would have otherwise. He could have put it that way. Maybe the backlash would have been just the same. Probably would have. But how come Warren Buffett, who is just listed as one of the five richest Americans, at something like $80 billion. Why is Warren Buffett lauded as a guy who still lives in the same one story brick ranch house? in Omaha, Nebraska, that he grew up in or that he has lived in for years. Yes, he's worth all this money, but look at humble Warren Buffett who doesn't spend frugally or doesn't spend wildly. He's a very frugal man. That's a virtue for him because there is no struggling, brown-skinned Mexican on the other end of the story. That's how the media works. Kuchar, boo for you. You retreated. You should have died on that hill. Of course, your Skechers deal would have probably died as well. You know how jitterish, skitterish, jitterish? You know how jittery and skitterish corporate America gets with any kind of Twitter controversy, especially if there's a racial element or undertone anywhere in the mix. That will do it for today. Thank you very much for listening and downloading. Subscribe at zabe.com. And get Fridays. It's well worth the five bucks. I promise you that. And you can cancel anytime. So when you're sick of me, just leave. I mean, we're still friends, but just leave. At is the feedback channel. Now get on out there, everybody. Tip generously when it's deserved. And tip reasonably when it's not. And we will see you next time.